I'm going to do, um, well, I usually do teaching, but I'm going to do some, what I would call heavy teaching, I guess. I don't know if, I can, if I'm even capable of doing that, but um, I'm going to be in Matthew, uh, mainly in Matthew chapter 18, uh, starting in verse 23 through 35. Um, but I, it's going to take me a little bit to get there. It's going to take me exactly one page of notes to get there. So, hey, man, I want to preach on, a, on something, uh, something a little bit old because Pastor taught this to me uh, when I first got married. That was almost 17 years ago now. Keep the main thing the main thing. Amen? Keep big things big. And little things little. And when Brother Nathan was up here and he was preaching the other night, that is the thing that came to mind. It was just perfect the way he said it. You know, sometimes, you know, we are saying things up here and it's nice to, to, to have another brother who would come up here. And he says something, the same thing in a different way. And even to those who have preached that same thing, it just clarifies and just solidifies what's in our heart. And I just really appreciated it. So much so that it, that I, I just kind of springboarded off of that message. So, so I want to just talk about keeping the main thing the main thing, big things big, little things little. Amen. Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for allowing me to, to preach your word, Lord. I just ask you, Lord, that you will just help me to do so, Lord, by your anointing, by your spirit, Lord, by the word that you've given, Lord. I just ask also, Lord, I cannot preach everything that you want to say in this message, Lord, but I believe, Lord, that every heart here, Lord, will open up to you by your Holy Spirit, Lord, and will receive what they need, Lord, in order to advance themselves or towards you, towards that high calling, Lord, of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Identifying the big from the small takes a little bit of experience. Takes a, you young marrieds, you're figuring this out. Um, you know... Some, some things that happened when I first got married was some things to me were really big. Some things, those things were not very big to my wife and vice versa. And we like to argue about which one was bigger and which one was smaller and things like that. It's just really, it's a really good thing. In fact, one of the specific things is just winning the argument was a really big deal to me when I first got married. Like somehow if I just win this argument, then it's going to set the stage for the rest of the marriage. And really it doesn't. I look back on it now and go, what? it didn't really even matter. Sometimes just I just don't want to argue anymore, you know. But it seems so big. You know, it seems like I'm just got to, I'm going to, I got to make a statement here. I've got to win this thing in order to really solidify my position in the home. And it really does nothing to do anything. It made me look like an idiot sometimes, which I'm really good at doing. But in Matthew chapter 23, in verse 20, 23, this is Jesus speaking. He's going to address this to the scribes and the Pharisees. He's going to say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you pay tithes of mint and dill and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier things of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. It behooved you to do these and not to be leaving aside those. Blind guide those straining out the gnat and swallowing the camel. Now, one thing that, we, that I have done and I've seen done is that we take this as though the tithe part, well, Jesus doesn't worry about tithe now. See, right there, he's not worried about tithe. Oh, yes, he is. Yes, he is. 
He's just not worried about tie over justice and mercy. But those, all those things are important. But to make one thing bigger than the other and make one thing smaller than the other, that's where the issue is here. The tithe is important. But if you're going to make your tithing more important than your justice and mercy, then we have some, big, some little things becoming big and big things becoming little. And that's where we find ourselves in error. In fact, he would go on to say, you are neglecting the inside of the cup. You're washing the outside, making sure that's clean, but you're neglecting what's going on on the inside. But I would also say, on the flip side of that, a lot of times, if the outside is dirty, it may be a reflection of what's going on on the inside. So both things can be true, but they have to be in their right order. We have to keep them in priority. Amen? Has anybody ever heard the term can't or the saying can't see the forest through the trees uh i actually never knew what that meant people would say that I'd be, yeah okay whatever that means but it you know when i'm looking you know i was, I was uh, teaching on wednesday about nearsightedness and and farsightedness everybody remember that anybody remember? okay and I, because the can't see the forest through the trees is i'm so nearsighted that i can't see the bigger picture I'm so focused on the little that I can't see the bigger. But sometimes we're so focused on the bigger that we can't see the little things that we are supposed to be doing. In fact, every meeting that we had at Fleming Distributing when I was in California, we would end that meeting and and our general manager would say, make sure you're doing the little things. And he actually had a list of the little things that we were to do in every account, just little small things. And they add to the big things. They, they make the big things better. Myopic. Has anybody ever heard the term a myopic viewpoint? That is a, a nearsightedness, meaning we're not looking at the big. We're just so focused on the little. And sometimes we get tunnel vision, and we're looking, we're focused so close on something that's near, near to us that we actually neglect the, the broader thing that's important. Um, hyperopic is that farsightedness. It's that... Um, we're so spiritually minded, we're no earthly good. Everybody ever heard that? That is a hyperopic view. We're just looking for this, these big experiences. We're looking for these big moves of the Spirit, and we are not focused on those little things that are in front of us that really the Lord is concerned about. So focused on personal relationships in the church that we abandoned the high calling of Jesus Christ. Some people are so, but then also, too, some people are so focused on the prophetic that they are blind to what the Lord's will is for us. Amen? In Matthew chapter 16, verse 2 through 4, Jesus says, Evening has come. When evening has come, you say, Fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today is a storm, for the sky is red, being overcast. Indeed, you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but the sign of the times, you are not able. So we're able to see all these little things, all these big things that we think are so so important that we can't even see the signs that Jesus is giving right in front of us. This is a condition that's going on in the church, and I, I struggle with this because it's really easy to preach against something. It's not so much easy for me anyway to preach for something. I tend to skew towards the negative anyway. But this is a church condition because it is a human condition. That's why it is a church condition. It's, it's a struggle for all of us. 
but it's amplified in this current age because we have access to so many platforms that make us appear bigger than we really need to be, than we really actually are. We have now what are called influencers. Everybody heard that term? I actually didn't even know about that until just recently. We, we no longer have uh, celebrities, we have influencers. But it seems to me these people aren't really influencing, but they're just glamping on to the, whatever the people want, and the people are what are influencing them, and they're making money off of it. But we have these platforms, you know, Facebook and, you know, whatever. I don't even know what the rest of them are. Uh, Instagram, I don't even have that. Um, not bragging, but I don't. But we get on these platforms, and we're, you know, we're really the little like button is more important to us than if actual people that we are interacting with like us or not. That this, that little button, you know, I've actually been, you know, admonished because, did you see my post? Yeah, I saw it. Why didn't you like it? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to like it. I saw it, though. I thought that was the important part. But the church will always follow after the culture and it's because we are human, and human beings are in the church, and so that's just going to happen. And so this is why we need a Lord. This is why we need a rabbi. This is why we need the Spirit to teach us and guide us in order to, for us to navigate these situations. The church calls the, the, Paul calls the church the pillar of truth. It is the function of the church to be an island of reality in this cultural sea of disingenuousness and fakeness and things that don't really matter. It is the important thing. It's the stabilizing force that it's supposed to be in this nation. But it's made up of people. But the Lord's not afraid of people being people. Amen? As long as we keep the main thing the main thing. So I want to talk about that main thing. I want to talk about Jesus being Lord. Because that is the main thing. We get that wrong, we're in trouble. If, we, if, if he somehow in our lives steps down from being Lord, we are in a bad situation. So now I want to turn, if you would, if you got your fingers there, to Matthew chapter 18 and verse 23 through, through 35. I'm going to read a lot of scripture here, but I just felt it was important to do so. Now this whole chapter here is talking about forgiveness. This is where Peter is, you know, how, how many times do I have to forgive um, my brother, and forgiveness is part of it, but it is secondary to the Lord part, okay? So let me just read. Because of this, the kingdom of heaven has become like to a man, a king who desired to settle accounts with his servants. And he, having begun to settle, one was brought to him, a debtor of 10,000 talents. And of him, having nothing to pay, the master commanded him to be sold, and the wife and the children." and everything that he had, and payment to be made. Therefore, the servant, having fallen down, was bowing on his knees to him, saying, Have patience with me, I will pay everything to you. And the master of that servant, having been moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant, having gone out, found one of his fellow servants who was owing him a hundred denarii. Having seized him, he was throttling him, or in some translations, choking him, saying, Pay what you owe. Therefore, his fellow servant, having fallen down, was begging him, saying, Have patience with me, I will pay you. But he was not willing. Rather, having gone, he cast him into prison until he should pay what he owed. 
Therefore, as fellow, servant have, fellow servants, having seen these things taking place, were deeply grieved, and having gone narrated to their master, everything having taken place. Then his master, having called him, says to him, Evil servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Did it not behoove you also to have pity on your fellow servant as I have pitied you? And having been angry, his master delivered him to the jailers until that he should pay all that he owed. Thus also my heavenly Father will do to you unless you forgive each brother in your own heart. Now, forgiveness, is, it's important. But if Jesus is not your Lord, you will never forgive. You won't have forgive. You will not have forgiveness. The problem that this man had, as I see it, um, I'm sure there's multiple things we could read in here, but just as, as far as this sermon is concerned. See, he has this debt that he cannot pay. But he, then he goes to his, to his fellow servant to shake him down. Here's the issue. When you, I've never gone through total bankruptcy where like I lost a house, but I did lose a car. So that was, I didn't have a house to lose. I lost what I could, which was a car. Everybody else was losing houses. I wasn't fortunate to have one. But what happens is that every debt that was owed this man here didn't belong to him in the first place. It belonged to the master. When you go bankrupt and somebody comes comes and says, hey, I owed you some money, here it is, uh, you just give it to the bankruptcy people because it's all them. He, nobody owed this guy money. They owed the master money. That's who forgave the debt. He owed him everything that he had. The problem was he steps out of there with forgiveness in being forgiven. He felt really good by, uh, for, by himself and thought to himself, well, now everything that I collect is going to be mine. And so this is why forgiveness of sins cannot be the only thing going on in our life when we come to the Lord. If that's it, we missed it. We totally missed it. See, the Lord isn't looking to forgive us of our debts just so we could go down and begin to live our lives the way that we used to live. That's not the reason. He forgives us of our debts in order that we might become servants of him, more capable servants of him. He has to remain Lord. Because if I walk out of there and he's not Lord, as this man walked out of there and did not see him as Lord, then he does not recognize or keep in mind what, what that master did to him. When you have a master and you are a servant, you don't own anything. Nothing is yours. You are owed absolutely nothing. Everything that I have is at the mercy of the one who forgave the debt everything that I have. So every interaction that I have with my fellow man, whether they do me wrong or they do me right, has to, I have to keep in mind the debt that was forgiven to me in order that I might forgive them. The reason why I can't forgive them, because they don't owe anything to me. They owe everything to him. Anything that they owe to me gets passed on to, on to him, and that's why I can forgive, because he remains Lord. There is this other, and I may t teach on this uh, parable. I didn't write it down, but there's this other parable that, that uh, Jesus talks about where there is a, a Lord, and he has a manager, and he calls him an unjust or unrighteous manager. 
And he finds out what this manager's been doing, and he says, okay, I'm calling you in, and we're going to account for what you've been doing. And that manager says to himself, I can't be, be without my master. I'm too, I can't dig, and I can't do other things. All I know how to do is this. I'm going to try to make this as right as I possibly can. And he goes out, and he goes to all the people owing his master money, and he begins to cut deals with them. Now, some commentators say that he was wiping the interest away and just getting whatever they primarily owed. Some say that he was wiping away the overcharge that he was doing that he was putting in his own pocket. Either way, what this guy's doing is he's just trying to make it right. He's just, and so he's cutting slack to his fellow brothers. Even though he, they owe him, even though they have a debt, he's cutting them slack because he knows, I've got to try to save this job i got to try to save this relationship. And it's, it doesn't make him right, but it makes him at least trying. It makes him trying to preserve what he can. And Jesus says, well, at least this guy is trying to have a relationship with those other people. Maybe they'll do him a favor because he's trying to do right by those people. And this is the interaction that we have one with another. Is because I have forgiveness with the master, it's easier for me to have forgiveness for other people because I don't owe it. I'm not owed anything. When I'm the center of my own universe, then everybody who surrounds, you know, circulates around me. But when I'm just one of you, I'm just, and Jesus is the center, we're all equals. And we're all allowed to be human beings just like, just like everybody else and have our faults and have our weaknesses and grow in maturity one with another. Amen? But the important part, the primary, the big thing is that Jesus is Lord. The forgiveness is so that we can be more able-bodied servants to our Lord. That's why, but, but Dustin, he died on the cross for our sins. He died on the cross so he could put sin and death under his feet and become our Lord. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That, that is the word of faith which we proclaim, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, you raised him out from the dead, you will be saved. Four, in the heart is to believe unto righteousness, and in the mouth is to confession unto salvation. It is about him being our Lord. That is the confession. The confession is not, and it's not just, well, Jesus is my Lord. Thanks, Lord, and I walk off. No, Jesus is my Lord, and then I act. I live my life as though he is my Lord, as though I have a Lord. That's how I walk out my life, and I still have failings, and I still have issues, but I have a Lord, and that Lord is going to help me to be a better servant of him. Forgiveness of sins is easy for the Lord. Luke 5.23, this is what Jesus says to that man who's being lowered down through the, through the, um, the roof, and the guy doesn't even ask for his sins to be forgiven, but Jesus just looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. And then he says this, which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, arise and walk? And he does both. Forgiveness is easy for the Lord. It's big for us because we were the ones in debt, and it should be big. It should remain big in our life, but it's not above him being Lord. It's not above him being Lord. Romans 14, 7, 9, for none of us lives unto himself. No one dies to himself, for both, if we should live, we live to the Lord. And if we should die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, both, if we should live, we should die. We are the Lord's. For unto this, 
unto this Christ died and lived again that he might rule over both the dead and the living. That's why he died, that he could rule over us, that he could be our Lord. Our debt is forgiven so that we are free to be faithful servants, but a servant is never greater than his master, never greater than his master. Rodney hit the nail on the head the other night. Liberty. Christ comes to bring liberty, freedom for the captives, comes to bring healing, to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal the sight of the blind so that he can, we can see him. But all of it is for us to be able-bodied servants of him. Because I can't be a servant while I'm in prison, Rodney. Can't be a good servant while I'm blind. I can't be a servant while I'm mourning over my past. I have to, that has to be put away, and I have to move forward in him that I might be faithful to him. Amen? Everything that he did, the larger whole is for him to be Lord over us, over us. And if we get that out of order, and I'll, I'll quote you again, Rodney, if I start loving people more than I love God, we're out of order. We're out of order. However, how I treat people and how I love, love people is probably a good reflection of how I love the Lord. So if I'm treating my, my neighbor wrongly and unjustly, probably not treating the Lord too well either. Amen? Mark 10 uh, says, And whosoever of you be chiefests, chiefest shall be servants to all. And this is tough for us. See, Jesus says, if you want to be great, if you want to be exalted, then you're going to have to get lower. So what we're looking for is I'm, I'll get lower for a time, and I'm waiting for the Lord to lift me up and rise me up to a really good position. No, no, no. The position is low. That's it. That's it. You're not getting exalted. The exaltation is to get lower. There was this term, I don't hear this much anymore, it was this term that, that was kind of thrown around when, when we were in discipleship. It's called full-time ministry. Full-time ministry. You know what I'm going to start doing? I'm going to stop using the word ministry. And I may not, but I would like to. Because this ministry, the word ministry in churchdom, whatever, has just this, it's a wrong connotation. It's like, well... It's my, I'm getting paid to work around the church. All ministry means is servanthood. That's it. So if you, tra if you just translate it to service, if I say I'm a full-time servant, that doesn't ring off the tongue so well as, as full-time minister. It just is, because you could be a full-time servant and work full-time job and still be a full-time servant. You absolutely can. I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best. But it doesn't mean that I just sit around the church, collect a paycheck, and whenever something happens, I just, okay, I'll minister. No, it's that at any point that I'm called, I, I serve. At any point there's a need, I serve. If I see something that needs service, I do. There was a young lady in our church back in California, and she said, I'm too good to clean the toilets. Well, she should have been too good to use the toilets then. And I think... <laughs> I think, I think one of our sisters tried to tell that to her, you know. But you understand what I'm saying here. We're too good for this. We're too good for that. I'm in a position to do this. And no. Mm -mm. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. That he took the form of a servant. Old James here. James um, uh, and his... Uh, was one of those, one of the apostles that wanted to be, you know, 
exalted at the right hand of the Lord. I think it was James that was that was one of those guys who I think his mom came up and said, you know, put when you get coming to your kingdom, put him at your right hand and the other brother at your left. You know that James was the first apostle that was killed? How's that for service? No. And he laid down his life for that. We don't look at it that way, though. And I'm not trying to accuse anybody. We just don't see it's the, the We go on through church, and, and meanings don't mean what they should anymore, and we just kind of get in this. But it's about service. We are, to be the first servant is to be the first one to take it on the chin. That's what it means to be the first servant. Being a servant is a state of mind. It's a point of view. If Jesus, being God, can humble himself for his creation, then I certainly can humble myself for my brothers and sisters. It cannot just stay in the mind. It has to be exercised on the outside, too. I have this saying in my my house, uh, how do I teach? Well, we learn by doing. That's what we do. We learn by doing. If I want to learn how to be a good servant, start serving. And, it, and you're going to make some mistakes. You're not going to be so good at it, but the practice makes perfect. No. The Lord assembles us together in order to exercise this mindset out. Because if we didn't have the church, then we could just hide in our little families and we can kind of get along a little bit. But it's amazing that the Lord gathers people together that don't necessarily get along. But as they grow, they grow together and they begin to get along. And it's the Lord keeping us in the place that we need to because as we submit ourselves one to another for the good of the body, the Lord is glorified out of that in us. It's what I love about the Lord. When I go and I, we can never outdo him. When I go, when I go serve somebody, the Lord blesses me out of it. It's a win-win. There's very few win-wins out there. This is one of them. It's a win-win. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 through 48, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbors and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those persecuting you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, and he sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you, if you love those loving you, what reward do you have? Let that sink in. Because this isn't just talking about the people in the world. If we can't exercise this in the church, we're never going to exercise this in the world. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what extraordinary, uh, extraordinary are you doing? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You shall be perfect, therefore your heavenly Father is perfect. You better exercise this in the church. It's, it's how, it's, it benefits us. See, if, we, if I only hang, that's why the Lord builds the church this way. He doesn't go, okay, now who gets along? We do. Okay, you guys go to the church over here. Who gets along over here? Well, we do. Okay, you guys go over there. No, he assembles anybody who wants to be saved. Assembles them together in the body. And then we love each other despite of the things that go on. Because it's our, us exercising our servanthood. Not to each other so much as the master. See, if I just serve people for the sake of serving people, then I'm only going to pick the ones that are going to benefit me the most. But when I'm serving you because of him, then it really doesn't matter what is done to me. It really doesn't matter if it's a good interaction, if it's a negative interaction. I'm just doing what the Lord would have me to do. And I let him take care of the rest. 
let him do it. He's the Lord. He's the Lord. If the Lord asked me to do something and it didn't turn out very good, it's, well, Lord, I'm just trying to be faithful. It's really him. It's really him. It falls on him. But I still have to be obedient. I have to be obedient. If I get an exalted position in the church, I will gain greater insight and greater revelation. No. No, you will not. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2 through 3. And if I should have prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I should have all faith as so to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And if I may give away all my possessions, and, and I may deliver up my body that I may boast, but I have not love, I have profited nothing. The higher I get, the more I lose sight of the little things. The more I lose sight of those little things. And those little things put together is the big thing. Because what good of prophecy if it doesn't enlighten the one who's receiving it? What good does it do? If it doesn't bring wisdom and revelation of Christ, what purpose is it? What is it doing? What good is moving a mountain if it doesn't benefit the one whose burden I'm trying to get off of them? Just moving mountains for mountains' sake? No, we... The power to move mountains is the movement to try to lighten the load of my brother. That's what it's for. Not just so I can look good. Galatians 5, verse 13. For you, brothers, were called to freedom, but not to freedom for an opportunity to the flesh, rather to serve one another through love. This is how we keep the Lord Lord, is by serving one another. We don't keep the Lord Lord by getting above one another. We keep the Lord Lord by getting, trying to, what does Paul say? Outdo each other in servitude. Can't remember where he says that, but I know he does. First Peter, as each has received a gift to them, serving each other as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serving each other as good stewards. It is not just, but let me just say this. It's not just about being good for goodness sake. But rather, through this service, it is the mechanism in which we can humble ourselves. We can't just, I can't just walk up here and say, I'm humble. I've tried it. It doesn't work. But God gives opportunity for that to happen. And it happens by putting us in interaction with one another. First Peter uh, 1, 22 through 23, having purified your souls in obedience to the truth unto sincere brotherly love. Love one another fervently out of a pure heart, having been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, by the living and abiding word of God. By the living and abiding word of God. I'm almost done. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 through 9. And I got a, just nine scriptures here, okay? But they're short. So if you're falling asleep, just give me your attention just for a little bit longer, okay? And by this we know that we have come to know him if we should keep his commandments. So let's remember, keep his commandments. The one saying, I have known him, and not keeping his commandment is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever may keep his word truly in him, the love of God has been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one claiming to abide in, to abide in him ought to also walk just as the, in the same way that he walked. Okay, so we got the, this verse. are great. Yes, absolutely. 
Yes, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Command me, Lord. He's about it. I'm not writing a new He's commandment to. to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Again, I'm writing you a new command, a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the truth, true light already shines. The one claiming to be in the light and hating his brother is in darkness, even until now. The one loving his brother abides in light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But the one hating his brother is in darkness, and the one walking in darkness, and he knows not where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. You want great revelation? Love your brother. Brother. Love your brother. Love your brother. It puts us in position to where we can receive from the Lord when we love our brother. Puts us in a place where we can do that. I want to obey the commandments of the Lord. Just command me. Love your brother. Eh. But he did this to me. There's no caveat here. Is he a brother? Is she a sister or not? If you claim they're a brother, claim they're a sister, treat him like that. Treat him like that. I said this the other night, and I mean it. I, I, love my, I love my mom. I love my sisters. We don't always get along, but they still remain my family. And I'm not abandoning them just because something gets, gets in between us. I'm not doing that. Shouldn't it be more in the body of Christ? But it's not just about us having good time, rock and roll, plastic bananas, as Rush, Rush Limbaugh used to say. It's not about that. It's because this is the mechanism in which we are in position to receive from the Lord. I want to know him. I know him by servicing. It's the Lord, our God, faithful, loving, kindness. That is the big thing. I don't get the big thing without doing the little thing. The little thing is loving one another and cherishing one another. And we cannot receive that. We can't receive, if, if we want to receive the high calling, See, I was talking about perspective the other day, and I promise I'm closing, but this thought just came to me, so i gotta, I got to say it. Um, the word perspective, one of the definitions is what's called a vista point. Everybody's heard that if you're from Northern California. Vista point. It's that place where we get really high. We don't have a whole lot of high points here in Oklahoma. But in California, we had a lot of really, I mean, you could see over huge valleys. You know, you're, you know just, it was awesome. It puts things in perspective, does it not? It puts things in perspective. So in the, if we want to get good perspective in the world, then we get ourselves to a high place and we can see all the little things going on around us. But in the kingdom, it's the opposite. You want to get a good perspective, you get down low. You want to get high revelation, you get down low. And you'll find it. And you'll find it. The race towards the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. And don't be confused by the word high there. The high calling of Jesus Christ is a race downward. It's a race downward, not upward. Amen. Amen. Pastor.